Here is another powerful message from New Vision Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. To hear the rest of this series and others, join us at newvisionlife.com. Real quick, we haven't done this in any of our previous service. Real quick, real quick how many of you saw we're about to start studying Revelation? We're like, uh-oh. Anybody have that? Because that was me as a kid growing up, man. My, my, my church growing up um, just seemed, maybe it was just the day. If you kind of grew up in the 70s and 80s and you were in church, it was like, we were like super into end time stuff, you know, like super into it. And I, I would be sitting out there where you are and the preacher would say, turn your Bible to the book of Revelation. I'm like, oh man, seriously? I'd be sleeping with a baseball bat for three weeks after that message because like beasts and dragons and antichrist and lake of fire. And I'm like, Man, that's intense, dude. And um, the rapture, like I would, I remember coming home as a, as a kid and like my mom was supposed to be there, but she wasn't there and going through the house and like my mom's not here. Like I see she's raptured and I'm, I got left behind Kirk Cameron. Um, so <laughs> stuff. And I, I when, when you start thinking about it, I mean, so many people have said kind of some goofy stuff maybe about the end times. I remember I was a freshman in college in 1988 and uh, there was a book that came out uh, in September like right as school was beginning and it was this guy was, I, I, he was a brilliant dude and, and he said 88 reasons that Jesus is coming back in 1988 and I was like I don't even know why I'm going to class. So, so I didn't which turned out to be a big mistake. Um, but I, I, and then the, and it was wrong. And then the next year he came out with 89, where he just got the math wrong. He said it was actually 89, and it, and so it was, it was just kind of just kind of got weird to be honest. Why do I say all, all that? Because I think we've made a greater mistake. I think today in church, I think the greater mistake and the certainly the more dangerous mistake is we don't focus on the second coming of Christ near near enough. And I think that's a much more dangerous, dangerous place to be. So we're going to, we're going to begin to study through the book of Revelation. We're going to go over the next eight weeks through the first three chapters. We're going to take a break for a summer series that we're going to do. And uh, then later on, we're going to come back and, and finish the book out. But here, here's a couple of things that I think are really important. You can go ahead and open your Bible up to the book of Revelation. First of all, I'm not going to tell you who the Antichrist is. So if you're here like wanting to know, I don't know. And I'm not going to give you a timeline on when Jesus is coming back. I know he is coming back, and we ought to live like he's coming back today. That's what I, that's what I do know, all right? So if you're looking for charts and timelines, um, I'm, I'm sorry about that. But I think one of the mistakes that uh, I have made is when I've looked at the book of Revelation, I immediately think about Revelation is all about end-time events. And that's uh, really not all the book of Revelation is about. You have to understand something about the context. And I think it's important for us in week one to get a little background because if you don't understand this background, it is impossible to understand the book, okay? So the first question we might ask is, is who is the author? Well, the author of Revelation is John, one of the apostles. Uh, and, and I remember growing up, John, who wrote the fourth gospel, the gospel of John. Uh, John wrote first, second, and third John, and he wrote the book of Revelation. I always thought John was kind of arrogant growing up in church. Like the Easter story, John's the one who tells us that he outran Simon Peter to the tomb. I'm like, okay. And then John calls himself the one Jesus loved. You remember that? You read through the gospel of John, like, all right, John, good for you. But... 
John did have this close, close relationship. I would say this. You can disagree with me. I would say while Jesus was here on earth, I think there probably was probably not anybody uh, maybe outside of his mom that he was closer to than John. In fact, you might say, well, how do you know that? Because as Jesus is being crucified on the cross, John's the only apostle who, who is present. And Jesus says to John, as John's standing by Mary, the mother of Jesus, Jesus says to John, behold, son, your mother. So he gives John the responsibility of caring for his mom. That tells me that these guys had a close relationship. Now, here's what we also know about John. We know that John... Uh, endures intense persecution. All the apostles except for Judas were martyred. Uh, John, because of his faith in Rome, was under Nero, was, uh, history tells us, was boiled alive, which we talked about that a few weeks ago. It did not kill him. Uh, but after that, they, they sent him to a uh, prison, an island called Patmos, which is, was the Roman sort of equivalent of Alcatraz. And so this is where John lives out his life. And you might say, well, why is that so important? It was while he was there on Patmos, maybe as a 90-year-old man, that he receives this vision and pins these words in this book of Revelation. I'm going to tell you something. This is a great book. And I, I believe this, God is going to do something great in and through our time of study. I promise you, this is going to be an exciting eight weeks that you just do not want to miss. Now, let, let's begin. Let's go ahead and jump, on. We're, jump in. We're going to try to finish Revelation chapter 1. I'm going to just run through this text because there's so much good stuff. I, I think this might be one of the greatest chapters in the Bible. In fact, people ask me many times, uh, Pastor Brady, I'm starting to study the Bible. What, what, what books would you tell me to start with? Well, I always say this. I think you want to read the first book, Genesis, and I think you ought to read the last book, Revelation, and then you ought to read one of the Gospels, which John's Gospel is a great Gospel because if you know how it begins and how it ends, the middle makes a whole lot more sense, okay? So let, let's jump in. It says the revelation from Jesus Christ, uh, verse 1 uh, really, the ESV probably gets it better here, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this is what this book is. The word revelation, watch this. This is huge, so important. The word revelation means an unveiling, right? What does revelation mean? It means a what? Unveiling. So if you're a sculpture and you have a, a work of art, a statue that you're going to, to unveil, it has a sheet over it, everybody gathers around, and then you unveil that so they can see this work of art, right? And so what John is saying is this is the unveiling of Jesus Christ. Now, while Jesus was, Jesus was here the first time, his glory and his power and his majesty were veiled. He came as this humbled servant. But John's saying, I want you to see him unveiled for who he is. Uh, now, look, look at this, verse 2. He says, who testifies to everything he saw. Everything that John saw, he's going to tell us. This is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 3. This is the only book in the Bible that makes this promise. This is so super exciting, and I'm going to give you a challenge here, all right? Listen to what John says. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the word of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. This is the only book in the Bible that promises you a blessing for those who read it and read the scripture aloud. I think for the average reader, it would take about 45 minutes to read through the book of Revelation. And I'm going to challenge you this week to read through the book of Revelation. I'm just going to challenge you to do it. And you might say, well, I don't understand Revelation. There's a lot of stuff in Revelation I don't understand. Me either. I don't understand everything in Revelation. Part of the reason, watch this, here's, here's why Revelation is a bit tricky to understand because there are more Old Testament references in the book of Revelation than all the other New Testament books combined. One of the reasons for that is, again, the original context, intense persecution of Christians. Nero, 
Nero burned, Roman Emperor Nero burned a section of Rome because he wanted, uh, historians say, to, to build a palace for himself, and he blamed that on the Christians. So intense persecution broke out, and Christians were hunted down, taken in, dragged out of meetings like this, and then were thrown to the dogs to be eaten, mauled and eaten for these, these pagans just to revel in. Some of Nero's uh, dinner parties, history tells us, believers were, were ran through with the sword, and they were placed on stakes with some type of of some type of oil on them where they burned and lit his dinner parties. There were just intense persecution in this first century world like none we have ever experienced. And so some of the reason why there's such intense symbolism in Revelation is the writing or something that the Jews would understand because they knew the Old Testament, but the Romans would not understand because they didn't understand the Old Testament. That makes sense, sort of like a code, if you will. Uh, the second part of the reason that makes uh, Revelations hard to understand, and a lot of people disagree with me, and I'll get a lot of emails on this, but that, that, that's cool. There are some things in Revelation that we will not understand until really after it happens, and we're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense, and I see that. I'll, I'll show you that a little bit later. But here's my point, right? Now, let's come back to this. You might say, well, why read it if you can't understand it? There's so much about it that you can't understand. And one of the things that you will understand, here, here, here's the point of the book of Revelation. The Revelation is a book given to us so that we can learn how to become an overcomer in our faith, to be an overcomer in our faith. And the key to becoming an overcomer, endure persecution and endure tribulation, is to have a grand vision of Jesus. And the book of Revelation will give you a greater vision of Jesus by reading it than you have right now, I promise you. You won't understand everything in it. I don't understand everything in it. But you'll get a greater picture of Jesus. And let me just say this. Please listen to what I'm about to say. Every other problem in your life, insecurity, anxiety, sin issue in your life, every other problem in your life gets smaller when your picture of Jesus gets greater. I promise you that. I promise you that. And that's what the book of Revelation will do. So that's your homework this week. It's a promised blessing. It's just God saying, I double dog dare you to read this and see if I won't do something good in your life. It doesn't say that. That's my interpretation. Verse 4. John to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Here's something interesting. The book of Revelation was given to believers. It was given uh, originally to seven local churches. And we're going to spend the next seven weeks looking at each one of these letters that was written to a specific local body of believers. Let me tell you the second thing that we need if we're going to have an overcoming faith. Listen, this is not popular today. It's not popular today. We need a grander vision of Jesus if we're going to have an overcoming faith. Because most of us have a Christmas vision of Jesus, Right? Like, everybody loves them some baby Jesus. Do you see that? Here's the thing about baby Jesus. I, I hear people say, I love Christmas. I love baby Jesus. Well, I love Christmas, and I love baby Jesus, too. Here's the deal with baby Jesus. Baby Jesus doesn't make any demands on us. We pick up baby Jesus. We put him back. King Jesus. King Jesus is what Revelation is about. King Jesus is different. And King Jesus has power and glory, and he makes demands on our life. And this is different. You see? It's very, very different. But... Second thing, this is a letter written to churches. The book of Revelation will raise your view of the local church. I don't know what your view of the local church is today, but reading Revelation will raise your view of the local church because it was written to local bodies of believers because we're going to see this is the hope 
of, of the nations. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, modern-day Turkey, grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come. I love this. He, he changes the order. He's going to do this in, this in this letter to John. You're going to hear this statement over and over again about the eternality of, of Jesus. He says, the one who is, the one who was, and the one who is to come. Now, if we would put it in the right order, we would have said the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. Doesn't it just make sense? But he says the one who is. First of all, what, what does Jesus want John to know as he's on this modern-day Alcatraz as a 90-year-old man with scars on his body from the persecution that he'd endured? Anybody ever remember the first time you really got seriously burned? I'm not talking about sunburn. I'm talking about oven burn or being an 8-year-old with shorts on riding a minibike for the first time and your calf hitting the muffler. Anybody do that? And it lights you up and it begins to swell and fill with Do you remember that pain? Some of you, it's intense. This dude had that all over his body. And Jesus says, the one who is, he's saying, John, I am with you. I'm with you. I have always been and I always will be, but I want you to know right now, I'm with you. Can I tell you something that is a rock-solid truth today for those who are in Christ? Yes, you're going through suffering. Can I tell you something? He's with you. He's with you. We're going to see that over and over again. This is a great reminder. He says, grace and peace to you from the one who is, the one who was, and the one who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne. Look at verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from among the dead, the ruler. Look at this. You underline this in your Bible. The ruler of the kings of the earth. You know what John felt like? John felt like what we feel like today. I hear so many people say this. They say, you know what? Our world's just in a mess. Have you heard people say that? We're just in a mess. We've gotten so far from any kind of truth. And do you see that? It looks like these storm clouds are just rising in our culture. And certainly it was in John's day, under Nero and then under the next emperor, Domitian, who was even worse than, than, than Nero. And, and here's what Jesus is saying to John. He says, I am the ruler over the kings of, these earth, of the earth. Revelation is not John Lucas' Star Wars dualism. What do I mean by that? Dualism is really the philosophy of this battle between good and evil, that good and evil are locked in this cosmic battle, and we're sort of waiting to see which one is going to win out. Revelation is not about dualism. Write this word down in the margin of your Bible outside of verse 5. Revelation is about domination. It's about the domination of King Jesus, his domination over sin, his domination over death, his domination over the enemy, ultimately and even now today, all right? To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and he has made us, look at verse 6, he has made us, he's made us to be a kingdom of priests, to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Now, the message of Revelation the message of Revelation is how we can become an overcomer in our faith, how we're not just tossed back and forth by every circumstance and every situation. When difficult things happen, that we have an overcoming faith, a faith that doesn't falter. And he says, I have made you to be a kingdom of priests. This might be the most misapplied principle in Scripture. Do you know this? Listen to me. Listen. Some of you are already asleep. It really encourages me. I guarantee you, in a few more verses, you're going to wake up because it's real. Listen to this, the moment for you, the moment that you surrendered your life in repentance and faith to Jesus Christ, you were, you were born again, but you were called into full-time Christian ministry. Do you understand that? 
We're a kingdom of priests. You've been called into ministry. That's what you've been called in. And if you want to have an overcoming faith, you need to know your, you know, your role as a minister. What, what does that mean? That you, are, you really are, are caring for people. You're loving people. You're encouraging people. You're pointing people to truth. I was just back at the Explore Lunch right before I came here, and a lady was so excited to introduce me to a friend that she works with that she brought to church. And, and that woman is coming to church and has been uh, introduced to Jesus. She's, she's trusting Christ as Savior and Lord. And she was so excited she was a part of that. That's what ministry is. Last week in Hemony in the Dominican Republic, this is just super cool. We had several of our church members, some physicians, some not, some not, went down and did a, did a clinic. And while uh, folks were lined up to see doctors, there were folks there, just people like you, through a translator that were sharing the truth of who Christ is to them, sharing their story. 25 people put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ while they were waiting to see a, a doctor. That's exciting, isn't it? Because people understand, hey, I've been called into ministry and you'll never have an overcoming faith if you don't know what that faith has been given to you for. It's been given so you can serve as a priest of your God. That's why you've been given that, all right? Now, look at verse 7. Mm. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him and all the people on earth will mourn because of him. John, look, I want you to know this, he's coming again. Do you know there are 129 prophecies about the first coming of Jesus Christ? 129 Old Testament prophecies about the first coming of Jesus Christ. And we got a holiday for that. There are over 300 prophecies about the second coming of Jesus Christ. Listen, he's coming again, and every eye is going to see him. He is going to redeem those who have put their faith and trust in him, and he is going to judge those who have rejected him and persecuted him, and that's what he wanted John to see. Verse, verse 8 I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, and who is to come. This is this point that John needs to get driven deep into his mind because he's living in this moment that is very difficult. And God is turning his attention to see, I'm outside of time. I've always been, I always will be, and I'm with you now. Look at verse 9. John speaking here. I know we're going fast. We've got a lot of ground to cover. You guys doing Okay. The overarching, keep coming back to this, the overarching message of the book of Revelation is unveiling Jesus to see King Jesus, right? And so you can have a grander vision of Jesus because when you get a grander vision of Jesus, you'll begin to have an overcoming faith, right? John says, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus Christ was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Now, let's listen here. Nobody's going to say amen to this. And this is not being taught very much today. Let me tell you something. John is saying, I am here because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, I'm experiencing persecution, enslaved in this prison camp because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he, ta- he says, I'm a companion in your suffering. He's speaking to us as believers. Let me tell you something. Because you follow Jesus, that doesn't mean that your life in every way gets better in every way. Many times it may get worse. There is real suffering. There is a real cost to follow Jesus Christ. Do you understand that? There's a real cost to following Jesus Christ. And John says, I'm here not so much because, not because of mistakes that I've made in my life, but because of the gospel. And I want you to know that on the front end. That's why so many people don't have an overcoming faith. That's why so many people don't have an enduring faith because as soon as a difficult situation comes into their life, they think, you know what, something's wrong with you, God, because I I thought if I was following you, everything would go right. No, just the opposite. And that leads some of you to think, well, man, why would I do that? 
I mean, it's Sunday. I, if you're, Pastor Brady, if you're in the business of trying to get more people to your church, you're doing a lousy sales job today. Let me tell you something. John was burned, every inch of his body was burned for the gospel. John is spending his life in a prison camp. But guess what John got to experience? He was the first to have Jesus Christ unveiled to him. He got to see him. He got to experience his presence. Let me tell you something. I cannot promise you that following Jesus is going to make your life easier. It may make your life harder. Let me tell you something, but I've also tasted what this world has to offer. It doesn't satisfy. Here's the one thing I know. I've tried it. I want more of him. I want his presence. I want his power. That's where the satisfaction is, and John got to experience that. So don't quit when it comes. Don't quit when difficulties come. Listen, that may just be a sign that you're right where God wants you to be. John was. Do you see that? Hang in there, right? Look at verse 10. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit. I want you... I want, you to, I want you to fall in love with Jesus through the study of Revelation. But John's a cool dude, too. Here's a 90-year-old dude, body scarred up, busting rocks on a 7-by-11 island in the Mediterranean. And it was Sunday, and he's worshiping the Lord. I mean, you think about the obstacles that will throw us off from worshiping the Lord, right? I mean, just light rain, and we're out. I'm talking about other churches. I'm not talking about you guys. I mean, it's about anything. Anything can keep us from worshiping the Lord. Nothing could keep him from being in the presence of the Lord. It was the Lord's day, and he was worshiping the Lord, right? That's what he was doing. And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, and God showed up. And God showed up in a distinctive way, which said this, right on a skull. Now we have the Lord speaking to John. This 95-year-old dude in a cave on the island of Patmos, right on a scroll what you see, and send it to the seven churches. Oh, wait a minute. Just stop for a second. Like, if I'm John, I'm like, hold on. Like, I, I'm, I was boiled alive. I've been busting rocks for a n- number of years here. You got something for me? Jesus said, I'm about to tell you something. I want you to give it to the, to the church, to seven specific churches. And we're going to study those, those letters. Watch this. Verse 12, John says, I turned around to see the voice. So the first thing he heard from Jesus was write a letter to who? To these churches. The first thing he, he sees, he says, I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, all right? Now, Revelation is full of symbols, right? Let's start breaking this down. Let's see. What is a lamp? What's the purpose of a lampstand? To give light. Yeah, so we can see. A lampstand, if you finish reading chapter 1 of Revelation, it'll tell you what the lampstand was with these seven churches. And Jesus says, where is he? He is among the lampstands. What Jesus is saying, John, listen, I know you've been, I know you're, you're, you're suffering. I know this is difficult, but here's what we've got to do. We've got to turn our attention. Let's strengthen the, I want you to strengthen these churches. I want these churches to shine in this dark world because the hope of our day, John, is a vibrant church that illuminates the darkness of this world. And let me tell you something today. That is the hope of our day. It is the church of Jesus Christ shining brightly in this dark world. People say, where is Jesus? I don't see Jesus today. I want to see Jesus. Where was he in Revelation chapter 1? Where was he? Look. He was among the what? Lampstands. You want to see Jesus today? He is working among his bride. Let me be honest with something. This isn't popular. It is easy to be critical of church. People do it all day, every day. I'm done with it. I'm done. You want to be critical of the church? That's cool. That's easy. Anybody can do that. Let me just put it to you this way. My wife's here. She's right over here to my left. You come up to me after the service and you say something critical about my wife. I'm tired and I'm hungry. 
And I'll just go Old Testament on you. It won't be pretty, right? Because I love her. She's my bride. I would take a bullet for her. She's my bride. Don't speak negatively about my bride. Other men, are you here? You say the same thing? Listen, the church is the bride of Jesus Christ. The church is the hope of this dark day. And that's why the first thing that John hears and the first thing that John sees are these lampstands. Let's shine bright in this darkness. Here's what Revelation will do if you watch. The book of Revelation will give you a grander vision of King Jesus and it will renew your passion for the local church. Right? It will. Now, when we think about church, think about this, church in three parts. Number one, the moment we come to faith in Christ, we're part of the universal church. We're connected with believers all over the world. you understand that? We have folks from our body, our local body today, who it's actually night, who are in India sharing the gospel. Isn't that cool? They've been walking the streets of India throughout the day sharing the truth of Jesus Christ in hopes that there will be more brothers and sisters around the world who are part of the universal church. But then we need to be a part of a local body of believers, right? Because the seven letters were written to seven local churches. That's an important thing because we shine so much brighter when we shine together. This is a biblical principle. And then you and I individually are the church. When you go out onto your campus tomorrow, into your workplace, to your kids' ball game, you are shining or should be shining in this dark world so that others can see who Jesus is. You see that? That's what's taking place here. Now, let's look at verse 13 again. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. Now, here it is. Here's Jesus. He's standing among the lampstands. That gets my attention. He's among these churches. That's where the Lord is. He's dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. I love that. He's not in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger anymore, right? Although that was cool, right? Baby Jesus, this is King Jesus. He's in a robe with a sash. He's a king. He's a conqueror. Do you see that? This is, this is the unveiling so we can see Jesus. Here's what needs to happen in your life and my life. We need to see a clearer vision of this King Jesus because it will change everything. And that's what John wants us. Look at verse 14. The hair on his head was white like wool. That wasn't the picture of Jesus I grew up with in my Sunday school classes. Every Sunday school class I had, it was like a, this olive-skinned dude with, with, with hair flowing like Fabio in the back, you know. I always had, had blue eyes, which is weird. I mean, like, how in the world? That, that, wasn't, the, that wasn't the picture of, that, that wasn't it. John said he had, his hair was white as wool. White as snow, what is that? Is it, he's the ancient of days. He's always been. He's eternal, and he has wisdom. That's what they He has wisdom. Listen, everybody in this room is looking for truth. You're looking for truth in your marriage, with your children, in your business, in every area of your life. You're looking for truth. You know where it is? When you look into the eyes of Jesus, he has all wisdom. That's the picture that John wants us to see. And his eyes were like blazing fire. That's different, right? That wakes you up. His eyes were like blazing fire. This isn't, this isn't blue-eyed Jesus in your Sunday school room. What is fire? Fire is a refiner. Here's one of the things that Revelation will do. Revelation speaks to the glory and the majesty and the power of Jesus, but it also speaks to the fact that if we don't bow to him in repentance, then, then we will experience the judgment of Jesus because fire will either refine you or it will judge you. Do you understand that? That gets my attention. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. Now, that, that's, a, that's a bit of a challenge. This is where I earn my money here. 
What did the what did the what the first century Hebrews understood about bronze? When they just heard the word bronze, they thought about the altar in the temple where sacrifices were made. It was a bronze altar. And so that bronze altar is where the animals were sacrificed for the sin. So the animal was judged because of the sin of the person who brought it on that bronze altar. So the animals judged, so the person, the worshiper can come and go free. And so when you see Jesus and the word bronze, we we again we see this, we see this judgment of Jesus. You ought to write two words in your Bible outside of verse 15, sacrifice or sentence. This is what King Jesus will be for you. He, he can be and should be and will be your sacrifice, the one who went to the altar called the, cry, the cross so that you can be forgiven. But if you don't receive him as the sacrifice, then he will be the one who will sentence you for all eternity. He is the sacrifice or the sentence. So that's powerful, isn't it? It's a powerful image. And his voice, look at this, I love this, verse 15. John said his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. Second speeding ticket I got in my life was in, uh, just outside of Cooperstown, New York. I was up there speaking at an event. I had a day off and a buddy who was up there with me, I said, let's go to the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York. You haven't been, you should go. It's amazing. You say, I don't like baseball, what's wrong with you? This is America. You get your heart right. So we went to the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. We spent a day there. It was so cool, or, or most of the day. And afterward, he said, you know what? We're not that far from Niagara Falls. He said, you think we can make it? Yeah. So we left Cooperstown a little too fast. That's where the ticket came in. But then we made our way to Niagara Falls. You ever, anybody ever been, anybody, Niagara Falls, you been there? Yeah. They put you in this boat, the Maid of the Mist. They put a goofy poncho on you, and they drive you toward the falls. And every foot that you get closer to those falls the sound gets more powerful. And there's a point you think, I hope this guy stops this boat because I don't think we need to go any further. I mean, when you're in the presence of that much power, you're like overwhelmed. It drowns everything out. You get up close to the falls and you can't hear anybody talking beside you because of the power of this rushing water. And let me tell you something. John said when I heard him speak, it was like the sound of rushing water. You've never experienced anything. Morgan Freeman doesn't have anything on this voice. I mean, this is power. Watch this. I get torn apart for statements like this, but I want to say it again. We have spent decades telling our kids, don't drink, don't have sex, don't do this, don't do that. You know, here's what I would say. Show them who he is. Give them a glimpse of something far greater. Let them see there is power in this Jesus. Let them want something until we want something like that. Listen, we will always chase lesser things. And in the church, we haven't held up a clear picture of who he is. Because listen, I think when people get a glimpse of who he is, they want that more than the other. That's where life is. You see it? His, his voice is like the sound of rushing waters. He spoke, it was like Niagara Falls. You ever, you ever been around anybody with a voice like that? Me either. I want that. I want that. In his right hand, he held seven stars. These are, these are uh, angels that were over the seven churches or just messengers to these seven, seven churches. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. This isn't baby Jesus. In other words, when he spoke, like it, it cut to the heart of what was going on in my life. Are you one of those people that say, you know what, I'm pretty much talking myself out of anything? Ever been that? Like put me in a situation, I can kind of talk myself out of it. Nobody's going to nod there. 
But you know, let me just, let me ask you this way. Do you know somebody who can kind of talk themselves out of anything? Yeah. You can fool about anybody. John says when he spoke, it cut right to the heart of the matter. He knows every single thing about me. There was no escaping that. He cut to the heart with conviction, and that's the power of this Jesus. That's what happens when we get into his word, and this, this, this word will cut us to the heart with conviction, but if we don't submit to that conviction, it will, it will run us through in judgment. His face was like, look at this, end of verse 16, his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. Guys, you remember February? Like the sun didn't come out for two weeks. I mean, it was like DEFCOM 3 around here, wasn't it? I mean, people, I mean, it's tough. I mean, you think about it. You go a week and no sun. I mean, the sun popped out in my neighborhood. It was still like 40 degrees, and it was like the 4th of July. Everybody's just like, oh, running around. And it's just, you know, he's, John says, when I, when I just looked into his face, all I can tell you is like the sun shining in all its brilliance changes everything. Being in his presence changes everything. But watch this. I want to show you something else. You can't, you can't look fully into the sun, can you? I mean, if, I don't know if it's shining out there right now. I haven't been out in a long, long time. But it, you can't look fully in the sun. It'll, it'll blind you. You can only just take a glimpse of it. Can I tell you something? Throughout all of eternity, we will never be able to take in all that he is. No matter what we know of him, there is still more of this King Jesus. Isn't that a powerful concept? Don't you want to surrender to a God like that? And then, verse 17, John says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Now, this is the same John. Watch this. Watch this. I know it's time to go. Watch this. This is the same John that when they shared a meal, John reclined and laid his head on Jesus' chest. Like, I, I got a lot of dudes who are my friends. I got no friend that I'm going to let them lay their head on my chest while we're eating. I'm just out on that, right? I mean, no good. No good. There are only three dudes in my life that I would let do that. They're my two boys and my grandson. Those are the only guys that will do that. Why did John lay his head on the chest of Jesus? This is my dad. This is family. There's nobody closer. So that's the intimacy he had with Jesus while Jesus was here. But look, look, look. When he sees him, this unveiling of Jesus, John doesn't run up to lay his head on his chest again. He falls down as if he was dead with the power and the majesty and the unveiling of this Jesus. Then he placed his right hand on me. Jesus says, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. Again, this is kind of a reminder. John, I got to remind you, I was there before time began, I'll be there when it's all said and done, but I am with you right now in the present. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw, or, or excuse me, I am the, verse 18, I jumped ahead. I am the living one, I was dead, and now look, I'm alive forever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. One of my buddies was talking about uh, being at a, a convention uh, out in Vegas. He went to a really nice hotel, and, and uh, he said while he was there, um, he, he walked in the hotel, and they had this just some killer cars that were valeted right there in the front. You know, the nicer the car, the closer they valet it. It was a Lamborghini parked right in the front of this hotel. Like if you drive like a 2012 Altima, it's way in the back. <laughs> but he goes up and he sees this Lamborghini and he did what every guy would do in this room. Every guy, if you're, you're walking into a hotel and you see a Lamborghini, what are you doing? Detour. I'm going to look at that. 
He walks over to the Lamborghini and he starts looking in. Nobody's in it. It's just parked there, valet. And all of a sudden it fires up. <laughs> he looks around and there's a guy over there with those remoteless key fobs. He the owner. He fired that car up. In other words, he was saying, I got the key, bro. I got the power. You don't. Back off. And Jesus is saying, every fear you have in your life, death, hell, every, I have the keys. I've got the power. I've got the authority. Rest in me. Trust in me. What a king. What a king. What a story. What a picture. What a vision. Let's, I'm one minute over. Let's do our outline in 30 seconds. You want to do that? It's really everything we've talked about as we read. You, you finished the first chapter of Revelation. You feel good about yourself? Post that. Put it on Facebook. Studying the book of Revelation. Just, it just went through the first chapter. Deal with me. Number one, I'm going to invite our men. Guys, go ahead. We're going to receive communion. You can go ahead and make your way here to the front. You think we can do two things at the same time? You guys think you can do it? I'm going to finish my outline while they're distributing the elements. You guys look sharp enough. You can do that, right? Oh, good. Number one, overcomers. If you want to have overcoming faith, we have to have a grand vision of Jesus. I said in your notes, until, until we're in awe of Jesus, we'll always be a pawn of the enemy. You know, as, as these elements are being passed out to today and you're holding the bread and the wine in your hand I wonder if you might do this I wonder if you might say this here's just a practical takeaway Jesus in this moment would you just give me a grander vision of who you are would you just unveil a bit more of who you are help me see you more and more because I want to live my life in awe of you give me a grand vision Jesus number two Overcomers have a renewed passion for the church. There are men all over this room passing elements of a supper that has been celebrated for the last 2,000 years. We call it communion. It's a time of remembrance. But this supper has always been meant, always meant to be shared together as a family. Like when you celebrate a meal together, that's an intimate thing. We're celebrating a meal together with family. And as you hold these elements in your hand this morning, look around the room and see that we're about to share a meal with a thousand other people. You're sharing a meal with a thousand other people, which says that I'm a part of a body. I'm a part of a family we're partners in this suffering. One of the things that's going to allow you to be an overcomer is to be connected in community with other believers because life is difficult and you need other people inside this family who are partners with you in this suffering. And sharing this meal together reminds us this is a meal for the family. Some of you have been living or trying to live this thing called Christianity out far too long in isolation. You need to be connected to a body. Number three, overcomers live with a certainty of his sudden return. He is coming again. And as you hold the bread and the cup in your hand, we're reminded of his sacrifice when he came the first time. But can you just say this, Jesus? I'm also reminded you are coming again as a conquering king. And we will eat this meal together until you come again. Lastly, as you're holding these elements in your hand, communion is a time for repentance 
for confessing of sin because you, if you're a believer, are called to be the church. You are a lampstand. Your light is, your life is meant to shine in this dark world. But sin, complacency, comfort, all these things in our life that we have surrendered to has dulled our light in this culture. So today, whatever it is, it's lust, it's greed, it's immorality, whatever it is, Jesus, I'm confessing that so I can shine more brightly in this dark world. Father, In this sacred, sacred time where we share this meal, could you give us a grander vision of who you are? Lord, thanks for reminding us that we are part of a family. And Father, could we take seriously the idea to confess the sin in our life that is so dulling in many ways, the light that you want us to have to shine in this dark world. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed this message, we'd like to invite you to one of our Sunday morning services. We meet at 820, 940, and 11 a.m. If you would like more information or would like to watch or listen to more of our services, please visit us online at newvisionlive.com. This broadcast is brought to you by New Vision Baptist Church, where our mission is guiding people to lives of gospel transformation.